Hello and welcome to the Coach Conversations podcast, the podcast where coaches have conversations about all things coaching. I'm your host, Brendan Lalive, and today I'm joined by Phil Preston. Welcome, Phil. Hey, Brendan. Lovely to be here. Yeah, looking forward to hearing a bit about what you do with helping people find their purpose and, and bring that to fruition, because it's definitely something I've been bumping into a lot in my own coaching. Uh, how did you come to be so focused on helping others find their purpose? Yeah, it came probably very much from a corporate angle, <clears throat> to be honest. And uh, <clears throat> I won't go through the full backstory now. Maybe we'll dig into that later. But uh, yeah, I guess a little bit of disenchantment about where the corporate world was going, what was going on there. And uh, and I sort of went through a lot of machinations, quite an evolution, to be honest, um, after going out on my own in 2008. And uh, it's really in the last two years i've landed on uh, sort of doing the same thing but just putting the right branding around it that the market's ready for at the time so as it turns out two years ago purpose it was really good timing because it was just before it became really popular at a corporate level and um i think at a personal level it's always going to resonate however it's a it's a little bit like the term innovation or collaboration it's sort of people use it all the time but they don't really understand what it means I don't claim I've got all the answers either, but you know, to be able to put things into frameworks and help people unpack what's going on is is quite rewarding. Yeah. And what have you noticed when organisations or groups of people get clear on what their purpose is? What's the change that happens as a result of that? Um, they typically get scared <laughs> because <laughs> what they realise, <clears throat> you know, is look. Let, let me use the corporate example first. I, we've gone from a, an age where even, say, five years ago, a corporate purpose statement was something organisations threw out there and people would go, yeah, isn't that great? But they wouldn't actually do anything about it. Um, but now, you know, since about two years, 18 months ago, um, there's been a lot of things going on globally and that there's a whole story around what's really driving this because it's not always what, what we think it is. But companies are now being challenged by investors, for example, to really uh, let the world know what their purpose is. What is that benefit to society they're hoping to deliver in a profitable way? Rather than saying, we're going to make some profits and then give a little bit back. You know, how is the core of the business actually aligned around purpose? So once you start doing that, it's no longer a side conversation and it's, wow, we better rethink everything. We might be on the right track, but we've got to rethink everything and then it almost becomes overwhelming. Um, likewise, from a personal perspective, I think maybe it's a generational thing as well because we've historically thought that, uh, look, a bit of giving, a bit of volunteering, um, that's bringing meaning and purpose to our lives and perhaps it is. But we're sort of in a, in a place in the world right now where just doing a little bit probably isn't enough. You know, we've, we've really got to pull hard on a lot of issues that are threatening our very existence. So it's sort of elevating that, that thing and saying, well, maybe purpose is the, the rudder or the mainstay to help you do bigger and better things and amplify your impact many times over. So I get really excited about that whole idea of amplifying impact, whether it's individuals or organisations and the techniques. So... The, the value add I can bring is not to necessarily solve their problem and tell them what to do. It's to give them the techniques. And Brendan, you as a coach would, would resonate, well, I'm sure, with that, this whole conversation. Maybe I am more of a coach than I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's funny, like, funny how often I'll do 
you know, coaching skills for leaders or coaching training programs and people go, I'm already doing a lot of this. It's like, yeah, they're, they're good skills that put you in good stead. It's when you use them intentionally that, you know, you can really dial that up. That's so, right. you know, and, and I like me... that you're not separating profit from it. It's, it's profit is a part of what it is, but it's more than that. And it's sort of taking corporate re social responsibility not from, oh, we do all this bad stuff over here, but we've got a good corporate, you know, social responsibility section. We make some donations and we run a, you know, a endowment or a scholarship program. So just ignore all that bad stuff. It's That's right. You know, it, this is what we do and we make some mm. money doing it. Yeah, well, you look, look at any of the companies that, that do have some um, obvious effects on the environment or on society, like gaming companies would be an example. How do you weigh up? The uh, you know the benefit versus the the damage that's being done. It's it's very difficult. Um, like I, I think being in a profit world is easy because everything comes down to one thing, which is dollars. When you start going into the world of social and environmental impacts, you have multi dimensions, and therefore you know can you say one thing offsets another? Yes, Crown Casino, for example, is employing lots of people. On the other hand, you know they're contributing to gambling problems in people's lives, perhaps. Um, how can you offset those things? Um, it becomes very tricky. And I think there's some, in the world, you know, we say, well, company manufacturing cluster bombs or munitions is a bad thing and we'll exclude that from, we won't deal with them, we won't invest in them. But there's a whole lot of companies in the middle where they're not so easy to say yes and no to. And I think that was one of my revelations when um, back when I was working in the investment industry many years ago, that this thing called ethical investing came around and, you know, the name sounds great. I love the idea of ethical investing and being ethical. However, it became really hard to say, yes, we invest in this and we no, we don't invest in that because things aren't generally black and white. Mm -hmm. And once you start playing that black and white game, it, it becomes, you know, very difficult. And you get companies like VW um, who were held up as everyone went, well, wow, this is a fantastic company. And then there was the emissions scandal and everyone said, this is a terrible company. <laughs> and, you know, Nothing really changed in the company that much from, from one day to the next. And yet they were great one day and terrible the next. So um, it was really just perceptions of what they were doing that changed. So, uh, yeah, I guess I bring a maybe a pragmatic hat to this whole conversation, which can suit some people and really annoy others. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, that's, I think that's a really good example as well with VW uh, around. You know, one day they're fine something happens and, and we judge it differently. And I think that's one of the interesting things about ethics as well, right? Is that by whose ethical standards are we judging that? Because different people will see the same situation in completely different ways, no matter which you know ethical framework or um, model or theory you put over the top of it. And, and how do we then get clear on what, what yeah, it's ethically good. bring the purpose to life? Yeah, what, what is good. And, uh, you know, we're heading towards a world where we're starting to think about and do more measurement of those dimensions of what companies are doing. However, that's going to still take many years to get there. So in the meantime, you know, we're, we have some difficult decisions to make um, and to live with. And the one thing that really stands out to me, and this is probably going back 15 years when I was a, uh, traveling the world as an investment research manager and having great times talking to investment funds in California. And this conversation stuck out because the investment fund was saying, 
Oh yes, so we've um, we've banned tobacco stocks from our portfolio, and we've banned this type of mining, and we we banned forestry. But then we realised we're running out of things to invest in, so we let half of the forestry operators in. And anyway, that that whole conversation really concerned me um, because I thought, you know, we've got to mainstream this thing. We can't just say this is good and bad. Um, we've, we've got to mainstream. Uh, I guess the idea of what would you call it creating value for society with minimum harm and uh yeah that's tough mm. Mm. i like that your reflection of people or organizations they get scared when they get clear on what their purpose was i did some work with a group when i was working in the public services team to try and define our purpose because we were in a branch that had you know four operational sort of activities in it. it was really clear what they did so think you know recruitment and you know onboarding and and training and what have you and then there was sort of our section and it was like what do we do <laughs> what's our purpose and and you know it, it kind of just it felt like to me that that kind of meant that oh it doesn't sit with one of those groups and so we'll give it to this group and we just ended up with all this stuff and I thought if we just pause and think about why we exist and what it is that's going to be different as a result of us being together, then we can at least have more of a conversation beyond, oh, we're too busy or we've got all this other stuff that you gave us. Yeah. But it's, it's, and it's asking for alignment across the organisation, which is quite challenging if you go back in any corporate or business environment 10 years, you typically would have the different divisions almost, you know, headed up by people who are competing against each other. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, which which director is uh, or executive is going to lead this company the best and be the future talent. And it was out and out war quite often. So you, in, in many ways, I think a business or any organisation being clear about its purpose takes a lot of it might be difficult to get there in the first place, but then it takes a lot of problems out of play because it becomes very clear what's in scope and what's out of scope. Whereas today, if you're not clear, it's people are muddling around and it can be a function of who's there at the time. Yeah. Um, and that's what we found. We got it printed out, you know, got it all signed off. Mm. And, and then we could just point everything back to, well, does it help us to do to achieve that? Does it help and did us you have KPIs aligned to it as well? Yeah, so that's powerful. That that is, I, I don't recommend people get to that point. Yeah, and there were some times where you know senior leaders went, well, you know that's a nice document, um, but we need you to do this, so just go and do it. And it's like, okay, at least we had the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other times where they went, oh yeah, that that probably doesn't quite fit with you. Let me go and see if it sits somewhere else. So, mm -hmm. but it did take some. You know, there were some conversations that happened to bring that to life and to make that happen. There's, that's definitely the case. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Sounds like fun. Oh, it was good fun. It was, yeah, it was entertaining seeing it all come to fruition. And, the, you know, the other way that I've seen purpose show up quite a bit is people will mention it in interviews. So I scribed for federal government recruitment for a, a while, which means I've sat in 350 to 375 public service interviews um, which is really insightful to see how people would answer those questions. But often people would, the uh, why did you apply for the job question, mm. they would mention the department's purpose in that opening statement. You know, I'm really passionate about you know, health, defence, 
border security, quarantine, safety, whatever it might have been, finance, mm-hmm. um, collection of taxation, and but use the words of the department's purpose. And, and sometimes the panel members would sort of sit around and go, well, that was yeah, really interesting words they've used to describe what we do. Where did they get them from? And because I'd done some sort of reading beforehand, I'd be like, well, they're in your vision and your mission statement. It's kind of the reason your organisation exists. I'd be like, oh, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, interesting. It's always surprised me that, you know, they're sort of, these things are developed and, and yeah. publicised and out there and quite often people aren't even aware of the fact that they exist or what they are. That's right. And, and I think there's currently some confusion around the idea of purpose and general um, practices within organisations. So in, in the corporate world, people um, use the term ESG to denote environmental, social and governance factors their business is facing. And purpose and ESG factors are kind of sort of linked, but not quite. Um, so, you know, the purpose, uh, for example, a company like Cochlear, their purpose is to help people hear and be heard. And it's a really great example of, of a company conveying that societal benefit that it, it's aiming to produce. However, if you then go down a layer and become more operational, they've, they're managing a whole range of stakeholders in across all different fields. So you can, you can break down all the you know, workforce issues, um, just about every issue any large company faces, and you'll find they'll have to have an ESG policy or a practice under each of those. But um, so a lot of that is about risk and reputation, that lower piece. Um, whereas the, the top line is, is really about the, the company stating why we exist and what, what value we, we aim to create for society in a profitable way, if it's a company, um, but it can be a not-for-profit organization, it can be government department. It just gets people clear. But so there are different levels of conversations that go on and unfortunately they they sometimes get mixed in together and and people need clarity to to pull them apart and really understand what they're talking about Mm. and why do you think there's been the increased focus on purpose Uh, look i think um right now a lot of people are ascribing it to the pandemic however i i don't believe that's the case at all Um, it uh, almost goes back, uh, if I go back to about 15 years when I was just leaving the investment industry, there was some initial conversation then about um, these ESG factors or about these risks that companies were facing, but that evolved over time. And we got to a point about, I think it was about two and a half, three years ago, um, where it was really brought home um, in the US by um, what's one of the business councils there that sort of said, look, we're, we're no longer living in a stakeholder, I'm oh, sorry, a shareholder capitalism world. We're living in a stakeholder capitalism world. And even though they might not have actually changed a lot um, within their member organisations or member companies overnight, there was this switching on that you can only be successful today if you are really good at managing and adding value to all the key stakeholder groups of your business. And it took a long time to get there, but the reason that was, I think, so groundbreaking to get there was because historically we've lived in a, in a planet of unlimited growth. Um, you know, people still finding ore deposits, discovering new lands, and but there comes a point where you realise this is a very finite world, so you can't, uh, I guess, um, treat one group of stakeholders really badly and, 
and you know you can't expect that to be invisible to the market the market will find out with technology and communications you can't hide those things anymore so it's, it's a whole lot of things been wrapping up and ramping up and uh you know i think we see <clears throat> right now with um the the additional government debt or budget deficits that we'll be incurring due to covid for example means people are going to be saying well you can't say as a, a gaming company or whatever you are, go out and cause a whole lot of problems for society and expect taxpayers to fix them up. Um, so that whole groundswell, um, that pressure is increasing a lot. So look, it's a trend that's here to stay. And I think we're right now, we're at a point where most major companies in the world are being pressed to review their purpose statement. And the next phase, and we'll be going through this for a little while, I think the next phase will be they'll have to provide measurement and be able to prove whether they are actually delivering that purpose. Because right now we're in the, the glory days of just saying we've got something, no one's actually holding you to account to it, but that accountability will increase. And that is all being driven very much by um, the, the pension fund market in the, not just Australia, but, but the world, because those investors control more and more money and have more say over what corporations do and don't do. And uh, that, that's the real driver um, that's bringing this home. Hmm. Yeah. And what has that meant for individuals from your perspective? I think it's a great thing for individuals. Um, it'll some, look, if you look at the types of companies that are getting launched and growing today, you'd be hard pressed to find one that wasn't very strongly aligned with some real societal need. But if we look at the legacy companies and the ones that are still large and who will in many cases acquire those growing companies, um, a lot of them are still really challenged with what they do and, and the impacts they create in generating a profit. So um, I think um, ultimately for people, it's going to be great because we should live in this world where everyone understands what the purpose of their business or organisation is, how their role and their team contributes to that, delivering that purpose. And I think that's a that's a really great place to be in. That's the ideal. Um, and, and I can see things trending that way, but we're going to be in this, I think, stage. We're just in this initial, wow, isn't this great stage? Um, we sort of need to do it and say we're doing it. And then over the next probably five years, uh, you know, this whole thing's going to start maturing. And then, uh, you know, I, th I think um, from a, a real personal perspective, the relationship between companies and employees, you know, it's been, it's been challenged. Um, because you can't just say you're there to help your people. You've really got to become a life partner with your people. I think if you want to prevent them from leaving and going to another organisation, there's got to be something there that's going to make them want to stay. And that's not a volunteering program. It's not a matched giving program. It's something far bigger than that. So, so that'll be the challenge and there'll be winners and losers um, in, that, in that game. Yeah, I'm seeing that a little bit in my one-on-one my -on -one coaching is people saying, I'm not super clear on what my purpose is and what I'm trying to achieve here, but I know it's no longer this. I don't want to do this anymore. And so lots of the conversations are around what what, are you, what is it you're trying to do? You know, why is it that that's important to you? Noting that, you know, why can be a, sort of a challenging question and I was thinking mm -hmm. before this conversation like what's your purpose is if you don't ask that in quite the right way that could be a somewhat challenging question <laughs> as well. like what's this what's its purpose why do we even have it is, is yeah. intent 
It's like, what's the, the impact you want to have? Um, and do you think it's a generational thing? Uh, I think it's... It, good question. It's impacting generations in different ways. This is a broad brush answer, but if we look at, say, the three... If we look at X, Y, and Z, so I'm a Gen X. Um, you're clearly younger than me, um, by the way, Brendan, so you must be Gen Y. I'm Gen uh, Y. Just scrape <laughs> into Gen Y. <laughs> millennials. <laughs> uh, so if we think about Gen X, which uh, I think is about 40 to 55, roughly, um, you know, we're, we're getting used to change and saying, okay, well, purpose is more than just giving a donation and volunteering here and there. We've actually got to... Um, in many cases, we're the ones sort of making some of the decisions or controlling the conversation. Um, so we, we've got to start pointing in a slightly different direction and learning new skills. Um, <clears throat> so that is kind of sort of challenging. And I don't know how many Gen Xs are really going to understand that and get on board with it because we've grown up with this different mindset. Um, so in many ways, I, I prefer working with um, Gen X and Y because it's, there's a bigger problem there. Gen Y are probably the meat and the sandwich, I think, because uh, Gen Z, for example, and, and my children are Gen Z, they know there's problems out there. Um, they know that the generation that's going to be wearing it, um, they're actually willing to trade off salary for a job, you know, some salary, not all of their salary, but some of their salary for a job that has real meaning and purpose. Whereas Gen Y kind of sort of said they would, but they didn't actually do it. Um, Gen Y caught in that in that middle zone. And that middle zone is really hard because at 25 to 40 years old, as Gen Y is at the moment, that's the time in your life where typically you're having a family, you're getting a mortgage and you are really focused on earning money to deliver for your family and pay off your debts. And it's tough too, because you probably don't want to be there half the time. You want to be cataloging butterflies in Papua New Guinea or doing something else or uh, with a lot more purpose. So um, so I see that as, as a big challenge, but also a huge opportunity because I don't think people really understand how they get purpose and the different avenues that comes through. And uh, one of the, the upshots of the work I do and the reason I can go in and, I guess, get an employer to be enthusiastic about this conversation is I'm not advising people to leave their jobs and go and join the circus. I'm sort of saying, well, actually, let's just increase your awareness of how purpose manifests for you and let's start thinking about how we can optimise that within the context of your job, your role, the complex life that you lead. And uh, a, a lot of that is initially around mindset, um, but then there's some practical tools and, and methods to go through. So, um, you know, it's not an easy space because there's a lot of moving parts and... Um, but I've been through it myself and I'm sure many of you, maybe you've been through it, Brendan, and many of your clients are going through that whole thing of um, I love work or I don't quite like work or work's changed. Um, therefore, I really want to do something or I think I want to do something else, but I'm not entirely sure why I want to do something else. Um, it's a fascinating conversation. And if you can just increase your guidance around that, um, then, then that's rewarding. And just, just one final thing to add, when I started doing this work with companies and executives and organisations, I initially thought it would be the ones who have no idea about purpose who would be my clients, but it actually turns out they're probably too far away. It's, it's the ones who already sort of intuitively get this, but they just need some confidence they're on the right track. 
and they, they need some tools to help make it happen. So that's been part of my big journey is, is figuring that out. Yeah, I'm always uh, fascinated by what people do sort of extracurricularly, like they have their job and then it's like, and what else, what else do you do? Where do you spend your weekends? And they, you know, coach a sporting team or they're a scout leader or they, you know, run a photography business or they make key rings or what, you know, whatever it is that this and sell the jewelry and sell it at the markets. And there's always this, it's like, what, why do you, what do you get out of doing that? What's the drive? Cause it's, it's, usually volunteer as well so it's not the money sometimes there's a money component financial component but mm-hmm. it's like what's the the drive behind that um and, and wh- why are you doing that and and then how can you bring some of that into what it is you do in your day-to-day role job so that you're not you know just getting purpose from there but as you say it sort of manifests in, in many different ways and what might that be yeah and you know, I think that's probably a, a, a fair insight for me is, you know, similar situation, right? Um, young family. I had an eight-month-old when I left the public service and was just unfulfilled in what I was doing. I was, wasn't, you know, it's not reflective of the organization or the team or hmm. the manager. I, I, I had an eight-month-old and I think, yeah, through some of the other work I do with dads, it's quite common you know, that when people become dads, it's like, well now I know what my values are and I'm, I'm, I'm either living them and that's great or I'm not. How do I bring that about? Mm. And it was just, you know, what do I do here? How do I navigate this? I've got, you know, young family, I've got a wife on, on leave or half pay, um, you know, part-time hours, I've got all these other responsibilities. And, and I remember building that conversation that I needed to have with my, my wife up and I, I sort of said to her one day, look, I'm kind of done. I want to leave and go and explore other things. And she went, all right, if that'll make you happy, like that's fine. Um, I was like, okay, that was quick. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right then. <laughs> to go different ways. And so now it's, you know, it's interesting because she's, you know, do you mind if I stay part time? And I'm like, of, of course, like that's it gives you a better balance. Like let's make that happen. But you know, then the conversation turned to, well, what are you going to use to fill the the gap? What's the work that you're going to go and do? And mm. and because I've, I'm clearer on what it is I'm trying to create in the world, I can be a little bit more discerning about not that opportunity, not that job, you know, mm-hmm. not that, not in that method. I don't want to work, you know, full time for that organisation, or I don't want to, you know, whatever it might be, mm. go permanent there at at, at the moment. Like the, all these things might change, but yeah. it was interesting around that, um, you know, that Gen Y bracket wanting it, but maybe not going to get it. Mm. You know, having stepped into that, I can understand some of the challenges that they might face. Cause 12 months earlier, a good mate of mine who I carpooled home with, we pulled into his driveway on a Friday afternoon and said to him, how was it like, how was your day? And he went, oh, yeah, I quit my job today and I'm like sorry what (laughs) (laughs) by the way it's sort of like this throwaway statement and I'm like well we're just going to sit in the driveway and talk about that for the next half an hour what do you mean you've quit you've got young family mortgage this that and the other and 100% the right decision for him from an external point of view 100% the right decision for me from an internal one like I say it doesn't mean it's always easy but it's just Mm. it's been a, a better 
outcome for many, many reasons. I, I feel sorry for you because you lost your carpool there. Yeah, that's right. I was like, oh, well, I'll have to, you know, find someone else to carpool in with or what have you. That's yeah. right. I think a, a lot of it is, um, this sort of is my own story as well, um, but a lot of people uh, who realise or think they need change sort of go, well, the only way I can do this is to leave leave work. Um, that was my mindset. That was I now know that was that was wrong. It wasn't including a whole range of other options. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like I'm I'm in or I'm out. But there are other shades of grey in there, and doesn't have to be that, that drastic. So that can be the challenge is is to navigate through that. I think. And you said even just having conversations about the awareness of how you're, you know, living your purpose or aligning with your purpose can help people. What sort of insights do people get from those chats? Yeah, what what I love about <clears throat> purpose, <coughs> excuse me, um, especially in group discussions and once you have permission to, uh, from the group to talk a little bit about things or they want to talk about it, I love to actually ask people without any real build-up to it, you know, what does purpose mean to you? Because the sorts of answers they come out with are very, very varied. So uh, you have to be, you have to have that conversation to start with to make people realise it is very different for other people. And today we can't talk about everything. Um, we, we're going to talk about some things and, and not others, so to frame that up. Um, but I find... The range of things that people say, you know, is, is purpose for them can be anything from providing for their family and, and, you know, meeting those basic needs. And by the way, I'm not saying any none of these are right or wrong. There's people's perceptions of purpose. So you have that providing um, aspect. Uh, there's there's a there's a piece around. I think uh, I call it well-being, which is you know I'm I'm going to work every day and I feel valued in my job. That's a that's part of well-being. You know, you have opportunities to experience some joy in your life. That's well-being. Um, some of that comes from connection and belonging. So there's that base level of purpose. Um, the, the third level is more around the word I've put on it um, is thriving. That's when you get super excited and engaged and totally into what you're doing, whether it's at work or at home. You, and you know what those things are. Um, you know, it's when your values align with the people you're working with or working alongside or having conversations with. It's all those things. You jump out of bed every day and you, you just can't wait <laughs> to take on the day. And then there's um, the top level, I think, is the one we often talk. Oh, I think we often mean when we say purpose, but it's that higher purpose piece. It's around giving. So how do I help other people um, in a non-contractual way? So I'm prepared to provide assistance or support or help, and I'm not expecting anything directly in return, but I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm helping someone else. Um, so, yeah, look, in a work context, that can come through in a work context, someone who's, say, helping the environment through their work, or, uh, you know, that can, um, it can all manifest in many different ways. So I love to ask people what purpose means for them because it will fit generally into one or two of those categories. And um, you alluded to something um, a minute ago, which I think was, was very important as well. This is not static. Um, as your life changes, even from day to day or month to month, you know, you, this whole strategy around what purpose could or should be for you could change as well. Um, the advent of a, you know, a baby <laughs> coming along 
uh, probably means you're going to have less spare time on your hands. So you're not going to be able to do what you did before. And, and I think the challenge is to maximise, assuming you want to maximise your impact, um, but that is the challenge is to maximise it within the constraints um, and opportunities of your everyday life. And that's going to be a, from now until we push off this mortal coil, that's going to be a constantly changing feast. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by those people that are in that jump out of bed, just love everything, so excited about whatever it is that they are doing. Uh, it doesn't even, it doesn't matter what the content is, even from my point of view. I just love that passion that people show and to sit and listen to them talk about whatever it is that they're right into is always entertaining for me. You know, if, even if it's something I have no concept or understanding about, if they're excited about it, I like to be excited about it with them and, and hear them talk about those different things. That's the beauty of podcasts these days as well, isn't it? We can we can tune into other people's passions and excitement yeah, as well as the one-on-one stuff. Yeah, so very, very entertaining when that happens. So what, what happened for you, I think you said 17 years ago mm-hmm. when you stepped out of uh, that finance world into what it is you're doing now? Yeah, well, it was... Um, about 14 years ago, uh, but leading up to that, I'd been working in the investment industry for about 17 years. And um, yeah, look, and this is all with the benefit of hindsight, I sort of was, was going along nicely in my career. I, I was up at a um, non-executive level, level, but I was a specialist and an investment researcher and leading a team. I'd been a portfolio manager. And so I was leading a team and we had $50 billion of of global investments we had to oversee and monitor on a daily basis and advise the portfolio managers how their investments were going. Um, so that was all, all fun. And I got to this point, um, it was around 2006, where uh, it almost felt like things were locked in. Um, in other words, I could see that I could just stick this out for another five or 10 years and I'll probably be able to retire um, in my mid forties or as a fifty-year-old and be you know, comfortable enough to do whatever I want. But it was at that very moment when I realised that was happening. Um, there was no other goal beyond that. You know what? Actually, all that time I'd just been slaving to try and meet one of those basic levels of being, you know, well enough off not to worry about putting food on the table. And once that became a possibility of a reality. Um, I had some real challenges um, in my own mind, in my own head around why I was doing what I was doing. And um, some people call it a midlife crisis and other people might call it a nervous breakdown uh, and take your pick. Um, The one, I guess, good thing that I had done and Karen and I um, had done was we hadn't bought a lavish house or a lavish car. The kids weren't in private school. So we built up a little bit of a buffer that, that allowed me to have some flexibility in what I did. But I did in my work environment, got to a point where um, I was sort of masking a lot of issues and problems that were going on with me. So my boss had no idea um, that I was in this state of of absolute crisis. I was really feeling the negative aspects of the culture of the place I was working in, Um, you know, being in a, like an emerging leaders dinner one night and uh, this long table, there was about 30 people at this dinner and it was just one long table, notable for the fact that the conversation was very barbed. It was very political. People were sort of positioning a little bit. It wasn't 
they weren't being them. Um, but also around this table of 30 people, I think there was 29 males and one female. So it was, it was out of whack. But it wasn't just that. It was, it was just a contributing factor. I'd also started playing in a band because I needed some creative outlet. I thought, as much as I, I love my job and the challenges it brings and, and I get growth out of it, professional growth, it's just I, I make a call now. Do I do this for the rest of my life or not? And I chose not. Um, luckily, had a very supportive partner and in our wedding vows, we'd actually, um, which was many years before that, we'd agreed that personal growth was a priority for, for each of us. Um, I'll put that down to her maturity, not mine, putting that in the winning vows. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, this this reckoning came along and um, I just sort of turned up to my my boss one day and and said, thanks, you've been great, the company's been great, but I'm, I'm checking out. And it wouldn't have mattered um, what amount of money he put on the table, if he had to put money on the table, it would not have changed my decision whatsoever. Um, so yeah, that, that was, I guess that journey and then into the wilderness of, uh, trying to build a business as a solopreneur in, uh, with, without the skills you typically need to be a solopreneur. <laughs> Cause I realized I'd been this person who'd lived in a corporate environment in a corporate infrastructure. I mean, as, as an investment specialist, it's probably a bit like being a dentist, um, you've got all these great skills, but they're not that valuable outside of the dental world. Um, what, uh, how are you going to live your life now? So that was, that, that was a real journey. Yeah, it still is, still is a journey. Yeah, oh, it's one I enjoyed as well. It's like, oh, HR, they, 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 no, there's no one over there to do that. Oh, finance, they do that. Oh, no, there's, it's, there's no one over there to do that. Oh, you know, organizational strategy or they do that oh no that's me again <laughs> it's, i better sit down and do some of this you know what is it that i'm going to do how am i going to do it who am i going to do it with um what sort of the financial implications of all of that and you know how do i because i just want to coach right? i'm coach and facilitate that's why i live yeah yep. <laughs> i'll go and do that i need to, but if you don't do that other stuff then oh, yeah I, I, mean, I got into speaking and, and I thought, wow, this is great. If uh, 90% of the work must be coming up with a good speech, right? And uh, not realizing that that was actually 10% of the work. The 90% was around building a business and having all those business skills that would allow you to make an income from delivering that speech. So it took a while to figure that out. All that personal growth, but so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't change a thing, but when I look back at it now, I think, wow, if um, only... It was sort of like I got to this point where, uh, you know, I realised purpose is a thing. I hadn't even thought about it up until that stage. Before, you know, what is my purpose? And I panicked and just sort of checked out instead of thinking, okay, well, how could I potentially, I was in a big organisation, um, was part of one of the, the big banks. We were a, a division within there. There were so many options um, waiting there. I just didn't even have the thought process to say, well, maybe I should look elsewhere within the existing structure um, to gain that greater sense of purpose. Look, maybe it wasn't even there, but I didn't even have the the awareness to question if it was there. Yeah. And I think, you know, that I've made the decision to leave point. It's interesting you say it doesn't matter what they put on the table. You've mm -hmm. already made that decision. I think it's challenge for organisations to not let people get to that point. You know, yes. where, they're, where they're done irrespective of what gets thrown at them 
Mm. And and they just they lose people as a result because um, and maybe there there was a role for whoever that person might have been in the organisation where they would have thrived and they would have been able to achieve their purpose and they would have been able to contribute and hung on to that corporate mm-hmm. knowledge. Or maybe mm-hmm. it was time for them to go and find their own thing and, you know, like yeah. you say, neither is right mm-hmm. or wrong. It's just a, where are we at and what are we reflecting and, and that's, I think, the challenge for organisations. It's a challenge and the opportunity because people will want different things. Um, what you regard as being purpose will be different to what I think about it and everyone else will have their own take on it. So uh, I think organisations need to be able to understand what that thing is and they may not be able to cater to everyone, but they can make some sensible investments. Um, look for a group of people who might be supporting them in what they do outside of, outside of work. Um, for others, they might just get totally amped up by um, some of the positive impacts they make through their products and services that they, they sell and it could be bringing that more to life. Um, and I think with this whole idea of corporate or organisational purpose coming to the fore, that part is is now taking care of itself to some degree, but you've still got to make people feel connected to it and engaged in it rather than just a, a pawn in a, in a bigger game. And that comes back to all those good old-fashioned um, chestnuts like culture and, uh, you know, all those things that sound easy but are incredibly hard to do. But I think, you know, purpose in an organisational sense, gives you a really strong rudder and foundation by which everyone is agreeing um, that you sort of uh, conform to or strive for. So in in my mind, it should make life easier, but it's still complex. The one example I've seen that's worked well and it wasn't easy was there was a director that I worked for uh, in a federal government agency that went and got his boss's position description, role statement, whatever it was, uh, or asked her for it. And I think she said, oh, I don't have one. And he went, okay, I might just draft one up for you to run your eyes over. Would that be okay? Said, yeah, that's fine. So, you know, did that. And then he spent the time mapping his contribution to what she was mm-hmm. uh, responsible for and then got us uh, as the, the next level down to map our contribution to what he was responsible for and, and so on and so forth throughout the, the section. And it took forever, you know, revisiting it, versioning it, okay. making sure they were all signed off, getting the right people to be clear on what it was and why, and, you know, the organization's mm-hmm. shifting around us at the time. So it's trying to, you know, yeah. keep it all. But it, it paid off because it, then it meant that, that everyone in the team from sort of entry-level position all the way up to senior executive could say, here's how I contribute to that part of what the organization is, is yep. doing. That's powerful. It was huge, but it was a massive investment to get it stood up and a real commitment from him to drive that forward uh, in the face of many, many challenges and obstacles. And then you've got to maintain it as well. As people change, as things alter here and there, those things can be easily you know, so much energy getting there. And then sometimes it just little things can cause them to fall by the wayside again. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not sure it's still up to date. That was many years ago now. <laughs> you know, it's something I reflect on and how you can then, people can sort of focus on what what hmm. that is. I did, I did similar actually in, in a section I led or it's part of a section that I led. Um 
in the IT service management space, which was years ago now, but, uh, you know, all, all I did was get the, the framework, best practice framework um, for the process that we were delivering and say to my team, this is the bit we're focused on for this month. So what is it that you're going to do in this month that will improve this capability within the organization? And it seems like kind of a, a, a not that much effort to do thing, but it created really good outcomes because people were like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing to make that happen. Yep. And, and then we just ended up with that sort of plastered around the place on the back of every agenda that, you know, document was attached and it, it really did change the way people thought about the work they were doing as opposed to just clunking away at whatever it was. So it, it doesn't always have to be the big grand gesture with the huge launch party, I suppose. That's right. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of <clears throat> organisations when they start at the top, they come out with a very shiny purpose statement, but then... Uh, the best practice is then often to have three pillars sitting underneath that. So we sort of start breaking it down, what means one, two, and three, and then just to further filter that down. And I think where you have a lot of, some of the bigger challenges there, um, I've noticed that when you have, say, within an organisation, a, a department or an area that's a support service, you know, for example, HR, or you know, it's not, not someone making the product or selling the product or inventing the product, um, <clears throat> Or, uh, you know, say an external firm like a firm of lawyers or accountants, they're, they're sort of not, they're, they're sort of a player in the chain for that, for other businesses. Um, so they've got to get really clear on understanding how they contribute to the purpose of other departments or other organisations. Um, yeah, it takes a bit of work, as you say, it takes a bit of thought, but it's not, it's not impossible. <laughs> um, it's an exciting opportunity. What's your uh, proudest sort of moment with regards to the work you do now? Crikey. Um, I think the, the proudest moment is always, and I'm interested to hear how this compares to, to yourself, because it's, it's often getting that email or phone call from someone you haven't heard of from a long time and referring back to something you might have done with them five years ago um, or three years ago and and um, you sit there going, oh, wow, isn't that great? Someone's actually done something with this and they've had a great success. And because as a, you know, if you're a facilitator or a, or a speaker or a consultant, sometimes you, you know, you leave, you leave your, your field of work and you don't really know what's happening. You don't know if anyone's doing anything with it. But when you get those little return um, stories and connections, um, that's, yeah, I think that's one of the better feelings really get out of this whole game yeah it's not always easy to know the impact you've had in the moment that it happens it's a long game <laughs> <laughs> you usually find out quickly if someone's not happy about something that feedback comes through pretty quick it's the yeah. the big life-changing stuff that happens you know three four five years down the track yeah yeah and how, what do you have in place to support you then while you're waiting for those phone calls or those emails? To... <laughs> I'd love to think I just um, sit around all day waiting for those uh, phone calls. Um, but there's, yeah, there, there's sort of four aspects to 
business, I think in my world, and probably most people who are doing similar things, just in different forms. And, and that is, is about um, managing, um, I guess, the administrative aspect of the business. Um, it's about getting the business, um, delivering the business, and then working on the business. Um, and I find every day is a, is a challenge between figuring out which one of them you're going to focus on today, which one has the priority. And with a, a speech or a facilitated session coming up, you know, you know, you've got to focus at some point in time on that. And uh, I love this time of year. Um, we're currently in January because it's just typically not a lot of delivery going on. And I'm currently staring at a whole lot of documents I'm trying to write um, that I've been one day I'm really enthusiastic about writing um, and the next day it's, uh, yeah, it feels like a crippling task. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the, the biggest challenge in all that is just not getting stuck in your own head the whole time. It's uh, having networks and, and I've got a few peer groups um, that I use. One is a, a more, a, what would you call it, just peer group of professionals who are all in different um, types of um, areas of expertise, but we meet every month. And another one, I'm in a formal coaching program with um, run by a lady of one of the, the leading speaker management and bureau businesses in Australia and possibly the world. <clears throat> so she's, um, I guess, bringing a lot of the market perspective to that conversation, because if you just sit at home and stay in your head, you, you might have the best ideas in the world, but you'll never sell it to anyone or you'll find no one's interested in it and then you'll be wondering why. So, yeah, it's hard to get that balance right, I think, across all those different disciplines. What do you find? Yeah, I like like you have a, a couple of groups that I'm connected into or a couple of people that, you know, are almost on speed dial and we um, reciprocal type relationship around where are you at at the moment, what are you doing at the moment, what are you struggling with at the moment? How can I support you? Because I think, well, I know I miss team. I don't I don't necessarily miss organizational culture, but I really miss team uh, working in this way. So it's around how do I find that? And then, you know, I get similarly, but differently connection with professional bodies and, and understanding what's happening in the marketplace and what are other you know, coaches. So you know, the International Coaching Federation is the main one that I'm connected to. What is happening? What are people focused on? What are we finding? Um, what are people enjoying? And, and similarly, you know, trying to spend January to you know, rest up, recharge, and then think about and reflect on what is it that I'm going to achieve moving forward and what are some of the things I'll need to put in place to make those things come to fruition because as you say the you know, an idea can rattle around in your head uh, for mm. forever and even if it's the best idea in the world it's mm. not going to do anything it's around well how do i have a go um and, and I, I like uh, it comes out of a book called i think it's decisive by maybe Chip Heath, maybe Chip and Dan Heath, they say make an intentional mistake. So, you know, mm -hmm. if you think there's something that you want to do, uh, just put it out there in, in sort of an as good enough form or, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I'm no good at networking, go to a networking event, just see what happens. You know, that would be a mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at writing, write something and put it out there and see what happens. 
is um, trying to think about that way. So it's just a, you know, it's an intentional mistake. So if it doesn't work, I can learn from it, but at least then there's some progress happening and, and things are moving forward as opposed to, Mm. and you know, whether it's good or not a good idea or not, because in your head, it can be both at the same time. If you put it out there, people go, Oh, that's really good. I like that. Or it sounds like you, it's, it's forcing you to think about the, the thing you don't like doing and pushing you in there. Yeah. And uh, I, I've recently modified my own workday because I used to find I'd start out by catching up on emails and social media and then it's 10 a.m. and, you know, I feel like I haven't achieved anything yet in the day. Um, and I'm an early morning person. My thinking is crystal clear first thing in the morning. So I've shifted all that stuff to 10 a.m. onwards. And uh, so 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Is, is tackling the things that matter because it's just so easy to to go for the comfort zone um, tasks and, and avoid the pointy, pointy tasks that you know will will uh, help your business thrive. Um, yeah, I've been yeah. using uh, for a long time now using my calendar to block out time to do those things. You know, prep for this, write that, progress this, catch up on, um, as opposed to you know jumping straight into email and. You know, I'm yet to meet a human being that has as the first line on their role statement, you know, clear your inbox. But that's <laughs> yeah. what we die for, right? Because it's easy. It's comfortable. I've taken care of all those things. Yes. It's like, yeah, but what, what should you have been spending that time doing? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> nice. Well, I've got uh, the seven questions here to close us out for today, Phil. So if you'll okay. indulge me with some short answers. I'll give it a crack. On these, uh, on these seven, I would appreciate it. Um, so the first one is, what fulfills you? It's a balance of physical and mental activity. I love running and, uh, you know, being able to do both running and work and thinking in the same day is fantastic. I love it. And what frustrates you? Uh, what frustrates me is being vague about things. Um, when I hear experts or people talking about topics that I love like purpose <laughs> with no clarity about what we're all talking about that frustrates me so I'm out to change that yeah and if you could recommend one book that everyone should read what would it be Ooh, that's a tough one um apart from my book clearly called connecting profit with purpose um apart from that one of the one of the books I've got a lot out of and keep thinking about referring back to is tribal leadership which was put out about uh, a bit over 10 years ago now um, by the authors Logan, someone, and Fisher Wright. But it actually goes through, uh, I guess, a whole lot of culture examples of of how um, teams that see themselves taking on a a social challenge are often more successful than the ones that see themselves taking on competitors. Okay. Bring some good data in around that. Yep. What do you most admire in the people you work with? I think the diversity of views you get and you realize, you know, sometimes you think you're pretty right, but and then diversity of views, um, you go, wow, I never thought that way. So that peer group is great for getting that sort of perspective. And what's your favorite question? I have to say why mm-hmm. as a, uh, as a purpose person. Yes. If you didn't do what you do, what would you do? Ooh. That's a, that's a really tough one in my situation, um, but I do love working with food. Okay. I, uh, 
maybe not the top end, but taking what's in the fridge and making something really good out of what's left is, is uh, I enjoy. And if you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? Um, yeah, get your act together and form a bigger worldview <laughs> a little bit younger. <laughs> don't, don't get stuck in a corporate career for as long as I did. Uh, no, actually, it probably wouldn't be that. It'd be more around um, just uh, look around, experience more while you're in your career. Don't see yourself as being boxed into a very narrow pathway. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Fill there the seven questions and Whew, uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was pressure. Yeah. Thanks for your uh, insights across today as well. It's been wonderful to chat with you about purpose and all things related to that. Excellent. That's, thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Coach Conversations podcast. To find out when new conversations are available, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate, review, share and comment as it helps in more ways than you can imagine. And if you'd like to join me for a Coach Conversation, please email Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-O-N at coachconversations.com.au. Thanks again for listening.